Today's Hot Forward podcast is brought to you by SSV Limited. From tanks to full brew houses, SSV Limited has got you covered. In just five short years, SSV Limited have established themselves as the go-to partner to help you grow or launch your brewery. High quality tanks, parts, brewing kit and the knowledge and experience to ensure your project runs smoothly from beginning to completion. Their recently opened part shop stocks well over a thousand essential brewing parts to keep your brewery up and running. Visit their website on www.ssvlimited.co.uk. That's www.ssvlimited.co.uk. And check out their latest projects. This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Over here, we've got a strange bubble blob. And that blows bubbles, so it makes a funny sound. Next weird sound, the bag. Thanks for listening. See us tomorrow for more BBC News. Cheeky little shifty guys. You leave your podcasting equipment out for two minutes and the kids run riot thinking the Fiona Bruce or something. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Hop Forward podcast. Uh, the studios among you may have noticed that there wasn't an episode last week. Yeah, I know, but there was a legitimate reason. You see, the sounds that my kids just demonstrated were the sounds of the first batch of Emmanuel's being brewed since early 2018. That's right, folks, the sabbatical is over. The bread of heaven is coming down to earth. Oh, hoppy day. Uh, I've been talking about resurrecting my own beers for some time. And I keep attending events and bumping into people asking, oh, when's it coming back? And I'd be all like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I got to the point, you know, where I thought, I've just got to get off my arse and do it. Because sometimes you just can't quench that fire within. And as I've been adding to my knowledge through meeting people and through this podcast, and as I've been out advising other breweries and helping them develop their beers or having worked on branding projects or explored people's business models and practices, there's just no substitute for learning on the job and channeling some of that creative energy into your own projects. So there you have it. I posted some thoughts on my other website, which you can read at emmanuels.co.uk, all about uh, this is an event I'm looking to put on called Hopes and Beers at Christmas time. Uh, so if you want to know more and, and why I've decided to start again, go check that out. Um, but, you know, I'm not looking to be the next Juice Bomb Brewery or ascend to the dizzy heights of Imperial Stoutdom. I just want to roll up my sleeves and make some beers alongside helping others get ahead in their own brewing and beer businesses through Hot Forward. Whether that's direct to your ears through this podcast or through the other services that I offer working with clients. Um, now, I know what you might be thinking, why start a brewery again? Like, surely you of all people know how difficult it is. Yes. Yes, I do. Partly it's probably because I'm an idiot. Um, 
but you know I'm, I'm going back into it with my eyes wide open independent and free from restraint as it should have been from the start that's a story for another day um, but this time I'm doing it with a different business model and I'm excited about exploring that and secondly I love craft beer I love being part of the industry I love tap rooms I love trying different beers from different breweries and I love the people and I still I still feel the same passion for it as when I discovered beer and brewing through a white-haired Canadian called Craig on YouTube yep you heard me (laughs) and around that time I unearthed some great beers in my life such as Goose Island IPA and Brooklyn Lager and was introduced to Rogue Ales and Stone Brewing and Lagunitas and, of course, the revered Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. As we know, all these breweries are now big hitters. Some have sold up and some hang on to independence like a fierce Rottweiler with its favourite chew toy. Um, But it's the spirit that I love. And, you know, I think I may have met a man recently who loves it more than I do. Meet Joel Geyer. Joel is a beer travel writer with his own brand, Brewery Travels. Joel has visited over 500 breweries in the USA and recently posted 50 observations on some beer when he hit the 500 mark. Uh, Given that in recent years, the UK has drawn much inspiration from our transatlantic pals, I felt it was right and fitting to invite Joel onto the show to give us a healthy reminder of why craft beer is so popular, especially in the States, and to give us a lowdown on the American market and beer trends. Uh, so if you're enjoying the Hot 4 podcast, why not follow us on social media at Hot 4 Beers? You can subscribe to the podcast by iTunes, Spotify, and all major digital platforms and leave us a review. Or visit hot4.beer for more podcasts and articles, uh, branding and marketing services, brewery consultancy and business development, all aimed at helping you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. And now on to today's episode with Joel Geyer from Brewery Travels. On the Hot 4 podcast today, I'm joined by Joel Geyer, all the way from the USA. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Great to be here. I am doing great. It's a beautiful day over here. We're just getting into the fall season. So, you know, we've got uh, all the colors starting to change and American football is back on the TV. Even though I know, you know, it's, you know, uh, over there, I'm sure I don't know what you guys, I guess you would just call it American football, but, um, you know, it's, it's a great time of year over here and looking forward to having some great conversation. Cool. So who's the team you support? Uh, the Green Bay Packers. Okay. I, yep. Yep. I'm, I uh, grew up here in Wisconsin. I live here in Milwaukee. I've been to a lot of games. And as you may know, they're the only professional team where they, you know, they're owned by the public. And I, and I own stock in the Packers. I have the certificate down in my man cave and everything. So <laughs> I got the whole thing going on. Yeah. Cool. So just for our listeners, Joel, um, the reason I reached out to you is that I, I saw a, a post on the internet how you had 50 thoughts after visiting 500 breweries. And, I mean, you, you've visited more since that, haven't you? Yes. So yes. How, how many breweries in total have you visited? Um, I believe I currently sit at 533 breweries, and those are across 40 states plus the District of Columbia. Um, and 233 different cities. Wow. So, yeah. Which brings me on to my next question. I've just had the baby monitor. Like, how, how have you managed yeah. to do that with, like, having um, a little... <laughs> I'm this over here. Um, 
So, yeah, that's a great question. And uh, it's actually slowed down quite a bit since we had the baby, um, which I, I still have been able to, my wife and I do travel quite a bit just when we were living here uh, back home. But uh, for a year, she actually worked as a travel nurse. Right. Uh, so she, we lived in a variety of different places around the country, uh, which kind of really enabled us to not only, you know, see and experience a lot of places, but for me, I was able to go and visit a lot of breweries, obviously during that time period. Um, and we've discussed about where we, we moved back home to have the baby. She was born last November. Uh, and then we both are also in graduate school. So we have to finish up our degrees. And after that, though, we've talked about going back to the travel life full time. We'll see how things kind of pan out because we very much enjoyed that, but yeah, so I know at my young age, it's like, well, how did you get around so much? And I, I did kind of have a cheat code when I, I married someone that was able to provide a career that enabled us to go to so many awesome places. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, you this this post, I mean, I, I found it really intriguing. It was, it was 50 mm-hmm. thoughts after visiting 500 breweries. So you, you've had these 50 observations from these 500 breweries that you've you've seen across America. Like, what, what would you say is the one overarching theme in U.S. craft beer? Um, well, I mean, obviously it's absolutely exploding right now. Uh, and I know it's the same over in the UK where you've seen the jump from, what was it just back in 2014? I think there was less than 4,000 breweries and just now we're now approaching 8,000 in the U S and California alone, I believe has surpassed a thousand breweries. Um, and so it's one of those things where you no longer have to look very far to find good locally made beer for the most part. I mean, every single corner of the country, I, I think it's like upper 90 percentage of people live within like, I think it's like 15 miles of a brewery at this point. Um, so I would say that there's just such a grand variety. And I, and I guess my, my big takeaway is, is that each one has a unique story to it. And that's a big reason why I love doing this is because it's not just only about the beer they brew because obviously everywhere you go, the beer is going to be different. Even if they're using, you know, trying to make the same beer when they're using different water, you know, a different malt or whatever the case is, they're going to taste different. But then each brewery is also unique in that the background story, the tap room and the atmosphere and all of these factors kind of combine so that each one is did its own little entity, um, you know, trying to make its name in what has now just become a booming industry. Well, okay. So, like, how do beers and breweries differ from state to state then? Yeah. So, in the U.S., um, you know, I don't know how, how closely your listeners follow, like, the different uh, – in, in the U.S. craft beer, but there are definitely states that have a much more significant craft scene. Um, states like California, Oregon, Colorado, um, even Vermont, Maine is a really big one. Mm. Um that have all been, you know, kind of pushing where you're talking just total number of breweries and breweries per capita. Um, and a big part of that is that the states have individual laws uh, that, depending on where you live, can either be, you know, it can be easier to open up a brewery or it can be really restrictive um, and very difficult to you. Know, you see that in the southeast. So states like Alabama, Mississippi, um, South Carolina, and even states, a really good beer state, in my opinion, is Montana. But they have a lot of issues because they have a really weird state law where essentially there's only X number of licenses that go around where you can distribute and or where you can like open up a brewery essentially and have like your own tap room. And a lot of times they're like grandfathered in and passed down. So it can be very difficult to obtain one of them. Um, other states, it has only recently become uh, legal to even own, to have a tap room. 
Um, I know in Texas, it literally just became legal, I think, in the last month for breweries to be able to self-distribute their beer. Um, up until that point, you couldn't go and buy a pack of, you know, a four pack of, of cans from your local brewery. Um, you know, you could maybe do growler. I don't remember if you could do growler for in Texas, but um, in each of these states, there are just these unique elements where, you know, it, more or less, it can either be great or it cannot be so great um, with the laws. But as I mentioned, you know, these states like Texas and Montana, where you've seen the progress in the last five to 10 years, you have seen a lot more states become more relaxed because they see the potential there for the economic growth and development. Um, Because you have these smaller cities that are becoming almost tourist destinations based solely off of their craft beer scene. And so, you know, obviously that's a big pro for them. Yeah. So obviously there's nearly 8,000 breweries in the USA. Which were some of the best breweries you visited and and what differentiated them from all the other ones? Yeah. So, I mean... The obvious one is going to be, you know, oh, well, the beer was the best. Um, But like I said, when I kind of score a brewery, I also take into account, you know, the tap room and the atmosphere. So generally I score the beer out of 10 and then like the atmosphere and the tap room out of five for a total score out of 15. Um, But I do, I have a spreadsheet here. I've got all my rankings and everything. Um, Some of my favorites, uh, there's one here in Wisconsin called New Glarus. And they are quite well known here in the United States. And part of the reason that they are is is that they are, I believe, one of the top 20 or maybe even top 15 breweries in terms of production, but they do not distribute outside of the state of Wisconsin. They have made that kind of their their mantra that you have to come into the state to get their beer. And you literally, as soon as you cross the state line, you can stop at any gas station and they will have a plethora of different options um, of their beers. Uh, so that's one of my top picks. Um, some other ones... You know, some of them are kind of smaller, so they may not be as well known, but Castle Danger um, is up in northern Minnesota. Um, Mike Hess and Stone Brewing out in the San Diego area. Um, The Alchemist in Vermont. Um, Great Notion in Portland, Oregon. I just was uh, at Boulevard Brewing in Kansas City. Uh, Perennial Artesian Ales in St. Louis. Uh, You know, I can go down the list here. You know, I've got a top 25 list here that I can just rattle off a bunch of names, uh, but... I guess one thing that sets them apart, though, is that when you're talking about the beer, obviously there's biases towards the styles that you most prefer. Yep. Um, and for me, I'm um, just like I love pretty much all different sour ales. Um, I love different like stouts and porters. I'm a big like hazy IPA guy. Um, but one thing I think I appreciate more so than a lot of with, with a lot of breweries is when they can nail a simple lighter style like a cream ale or just like a lager if you can nail something like that that automatically shows that you know what you're doing because it's harder to nail those lighter styles because you can hide mistakes when you're doing like a big boozy stout or a fruited berliner weiss or something um if you're just making just a clean pilsner if there's any kind of mistake in it you're going to be able to tell Mm. um so both in terms of having a nice variety without sacrificing um, quality, I would say is a big, is a big point. And then with the tap room, that's kind of in the atmosphere. That's kind of, you know, it's such a personal thing because again, you're going to have certain qualities that mean more to you, um, different themes, different vibes that you get. Uh, but I want the place, you know, generally to be more inviting, you know, accessible, have other activities. Uh, I do appreciate when a brewery does have like a strong theme where you're not just sitting in like some warehouse. Because I've been to plenty of breweries where, you know, you go there and 
you know, you're basically, there's some simple tables and a concrete bar and a chalk and like, and, you know, and a simple menu up above and yep. the yeah. brewing system sitting right there next to you and that's it. Um, and then I've been to a lot of breweries like that and that's perfectly fine. Um, but I prefer it to have a little more character than that. Um, especially I've been to a lot of breweries where, you know, it's housed in old historic buildings. And I'm sure you get that in the UK too, because there's a lot more historic buildings in the UK than yeah. there is here. Um, but it's still really cool to learn the history behind the brewery uh, and the buildings. So. so what do you think makes a good tap room experience? Oh, I mean, obviously other than the not sitting on like old wooden beams on a couple of breeze blocks, yeah. you know? Um, so I would say, well, another big part obviously is the people, uh, you know, I would say, the staff is, is such a huge key to your experience. And sometimes it can be difficult because when I'm visiting a brewery and I try to take this into account, there are times where I've been to a brewery at Tuesday at 1.30 p.m. And there have been times where I've gone to a brewery on a Saturday night at 8.30. Um, and so obviously your experience at these places is going to be very, very different based off of the time that you're going. So a staff, it may have an excellent staff, but they may not be able to give you the individual attention and answer all your questions and kind of talk you through stuff if you're there during a peak rush hour. Yeah. Um, but even then, you can still tell the difference between when a staff is good and they know what they're doing, um, they have the information ready, um, versus a staff that may not exactly know what they're doing or they're more laissez-faire, don't care as much. Um, so I would say like having that immediate connection, because again, it's just like anywhere else. If you go out to eat and the service isn't very good, you may not want to go back to that place unless the food is like literally in the top, you know, 2% or whatever that you've had. Um, but if the service is excellent, you know, that oftentimes will make up for, you know, if you're like, oh, well, you know, I go back to that place because you know, I got such good service and the food was, was, was good. Because again, that's just another separation factor. Mm. So on the flip side, then, what were some of the characteristics of some of the worst or lesser good breweries that you visited? <laughs> um, so I would say, uh, obviously, the beer is generally, you know, I, I have obviously when you go to this many breweries, you're bound to run into some where the brew, where the beer is just simply not good, um, where there are off flavors. And it's it's very clear that there's off flavors on one, if not multiple of the beers. Uh, which is, you know, it's never a fun thing to go to and, just, and not like the beer, of course. But that obviously does happen. Um, not everyone is going to make a perfect beer every single time. I mean, that's just not a plausible situation to be in. Um, and I would say, again, the other thing would revert back to if the staff isn't friendly or not inviting uh, or they just don't know what they're doing. Um, Taproom-wise, again, I kind of already discussed some of the taprooms that are you know, not as great. You know, I've been to one where it felt like I was sitting in essentially a large garage. Um, and I've actually been to one that did, that was an actual former garage here in Wisconsin. That was amazing. It was awesome, but it depends how you utilize that space mm. and what you do with it versus the one that I'm thinking of now had some ratty old couches in it and just very, very bare and just did not have a great feeling at all to it. Um, the other one, uh, Onope Brewing, I'll give them a shout up a little ways north of me here. They're in an actual former garage stall that the backside, they added on a little room with windows that opens up to a river and it's really, really neat. So again, it's not necessarily about the building itself. It's about what you do with the, with the space that you're given kind of. Yep. Why do you think in America then there's still such an influx of brewers coming to market? Because in in the UK, similar vibe over here. We've had a lot of 
new brewery startup, although last year it, it plateaued out. So I think um, there was something like seven, just seven new breweries that opened. Um, I think that was a net figure because some of them closed. Um, but obviously, you know, before that, you were, you were talking in the hundreds. Whereas in the States, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you reference California, which has got over a thousand breweries alone in it. Like, what do you feel is different over there and why you've still got that kind of momentum? Um, well, so I'm trying to Google it. I was trying to see what like the breweries per capita would be. Um, cause in a lot of areas, there still are definitely regions of the country where there are very few craft breweries. Um, I just was, I was actually just in one. My grandparents have a summer lake house in Kansas, which is in the central part of the country. And there was one brewery there that was about 20 minutes away. And besides that brewery, the closest one was, I think at least an hour away or more. Right. Um, and there's, you know, a decent population center there. And again, it just depends on the state and, you know, some states are just kind of lagging behind. I think, you know, there's still a handful of states where there's less than 20 breweries um, in the entire state. Uh, and so, and again, there's just been such an influx and I don't think we very well may plateau here in the next coming years, but at this juncture, I think there's still so many more people coming into craft beer because there was such a large population here that was still you know just oh i'm gonna drink my bud light and miller light and more and more of those folks are starting to you know make their way into craft beer um and also i think another reason is it's kind of the cocky american attitude of hey i want to do this so i'm just going to give it a shot um there's i would say a lot of breweries are opened by people that either were home brewers and had enough friends that said hey you're good at this how about you make a run at it and then another way would be, I would say, they're opened when someone at an existing brewery, whether it be a head brewer, assistant brewer, somebody else decides, hey, I want to, I want to have, I want to run the show, and I want to run my own show, and so they go off and they start their own brewery. I know a lot of instances where that's happened too, um, and so I think there's just kind of that exploration stage still, where there's a lot of states where it's still growing, but amazingly, like I mentioned, California, they haven't stopped. I mean, and obviously the population there is crazy. Um, So it'll be interesting to monitor it because I do think that there still is going to be more growth before we see it kind of level off where you may start to see, you know, a closer number with the number of closures versus the number of openings. Um, But yeah, we'll kind of have to see where that goes. So could you tell then with some of the breweries that you visited whether they were set up by a pro brewer as opposed to a home brewer? Um, I think generally if they come from an already brewing background, generally the opening process is done in a more, I don't want to say professional, but it's, it's done in a fashion where, you know, they are more prepared for kind of that initial phase. Because hmm. um, a lot of times with breweries, you know, you'll see – breweries open and it'll take them quite a while to find their footing um, because they aren't used to either making beer batches at that kind of magnitude um, and also like the other sides of the business. Uh, Whereas if you're coming and you've already been in the industry for an extended period of time, you know going in kind of what to expect. Like you know, okay, this is going to be an obstacle that I'm going to have to face within the first six months uh, of the brewery. You know, after you because when a new brewery opens, obviously those first couple weeks, it's often a whirlwind because everyone wants to go check out the new place. And then it's like, okay, well then after that, how are you going to sustain, you know, where are you going to draw your 
main group of customers from? Are you going to be able to get regulars? Like, are you going to like based on your location, what kind of foot traffic are you going to have? Um, and so I think oftentimes and that's not always the case, of course, because I think there are exceptions going both directions. But in general, it's a smoother, you know, announcement that we're starting that we're going to open a brewery to kind of the planning stages going through. OK, we're going to open up this brewery and then we're going to, you know, finally, OK, we're into the process. And I think it's overall smoother if you have that experience already in the beer industry. Mm. Now, you said on this website post um that breweries should be careful with expansion and you've witnessed a yes. few breweries trying to scale up too quickly in recent years yes only to experience a dramatic failure which i think is yes. a universal truth you know yeah um i mean why do you think it's vital to take that kind of smart measured approach and how how do you think brewers can do this particularly if they're yeah. ambitious and have really big plans yeah so in the U.S., um, I've kind of mentioned, you know, like in the last five years, especially, we've more than doubled the number of breweries, essentially. And more and more people want to drink local, local beer, not just like craft beer, but they want to drink local beer that is being brewed, you know, sometimes not even in their state, but in their neighborhood. Right. Um, and so, you know, a couple decades ago, you know, you have like the big, you know, craft beer names in the U.S. You know, you have the Boston Beer Company, Sam Adams. You've got... You know, I mentioned Boulevard, you've got like Stone Brewing, uh, you've got these big name breweries that started out, you know, b before craft was, you know, quote unquote cool. And they slowly were able to expand over time. In fact, I think it wasn't that long ago that Stone got to 50 states. Like it wasn't something that they just dramatically tried to, you know, uptick. You know, it was over time they kind of built up to the point where they were in all these other markets. And because they were in all these other markets prior to the true craft beer boom, they were able to develop a pretty solid following and fans and people that wanted their beer. Now you fast forward to today, and like I mentioned, you know, you have all these new breweries. There's kind of more of a push to drink local beer. And so for a brewery to have the, uh, you know, unless you are literally in like that top 1% of beers where people are already like they're really actively seeking you out, it's really tough to go like for say a brewery in California to try to go and distribute in Missouri like right now because people in Missouri are drinking Missouri beer. And so you have to have a very deliberate plan and you can't just throw all your eggs into one basket. Um, the brewery I'm kind of referencing, one of the breweries I'm referencing there built multiple brewing facilities in other parts of the country and including one in a questionable spot in my opinion and they basically overextended themselves and the demand ended up not being there and they had to sell and get new owners and there was a bankruptcy thing and it was a mess um i believe they actually were able to get back on their feet i'd have to double check that um but they're not the only ones where you know, you see breweries try to expand into other states. And part of the issue is, too, I mentioned the states having different rules. States have different rules for distribution, too. You know, mm -hmm. how much you can distribute, you know, what kind of distributors you go through, all the different fees, uh, all that kind of nonsense. And so it can be difficult just on that basis, too, trying to figure out, well, if we're going into this state, we have to abide by these regulations versus if we're going here, there's this whole other set. So, you know, you have this kind of decision to make where yes it's always i don't want i did that's why i kind of included the clause it's obviously not impossible because breweries are doing it and it's a great thing when you're able to provide your beer to other markets and especially when you're successful with it but you just have to be careful that you don't just try to say 
that you're trying to hit all these check marks to say that you're, oh, I'm distributing to 20 states now, not 25, and you just keep pushing and pushing and pushing before you just have to make sure that at each step you are, you know, stabilizing and that you're not stretching yourself too thin. Mm. Do you think there's going to be room for those kind of breweries going forward? Then, particularly things are going hyper local, like like a like a like national breweries. Yeah, emerging. yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you, you never want to say never. Because uh, there are obviously breweries that kind of have that quote unquote national following in some ways. Um, but I, I don't know if we will, you know, see a brewery like a Stone or a Sierra Nevada or, the, you know, Sam Adams. I don't know if we will see any of these, you know, in the last like five years, the breweries that, you know, have just recently opened. I, I don't, I would be shocked if any of those breweries turn into something like that. Yeah. Um, it's obviously, you know, like I said, it's, it's possible if they play their cards right and, you know, you really make the like some top-notch beer. But part of the other thing is, too, so many breweries are trying to make, like, these different fancier, you know, beers. And the beers that made, you know, breweries like Sierra Nevada and Stone and Boston Beer Company, you know, world, like, nationwide famous are the very simplistic, you know, the Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, the Boston Lager. You know, they're not distributing milkshake IPAs and pastry stouts. That's not, you know, what got them to the to that point. Um, so that that would be another thing is that you would have to have more beers with mass appeal versus catering to more, you know, specific tastes. And do you think with a lot of the breweries that you've got in the States that they are trying to make beers you experience rather than just beers you drink? Because it's um, you know it's it's kind of like pun intended flavor of the month that yeah. you brew something different all the time. Whereas you know it's it's a really good case in point you just made because it's the same over here. Like where yeah, it's you know you, you it, well it's just it's just mirrored in the UK. You get these impy oh. stouts and double IPAs and all the rest of it. But actually the yeah. the things that seem to sell the most are the most simple beers. Yeah, you know what. And I mean, like I, I've been to several breweries where they're releasing at least one and sometimes even more beers each week. Right. Where they're constantly cranking out new things. And and part of that is I am personally not an untapped. Um, and I wrote that in the article that I don't I don't want to I don't ever bash people on tap because I understand, you know, the premise and why it can be a really great thing. But there are people like with the untapped badge chasing where, you know, that's part of the craft beer movement and why breweries are constantly cranking out new beers is because that's what people want. They want to say, I've checked in at, you know, 30 different beers at this brewery now. You know, they want to continuously have something new to try. Because um, with Untapped, you have um, all the people that, you know, they're just wanting to look at the menu. And they want to add, you know, oh, I've checked in at this beer and this beer at this place and this other place. Um, and then while there is, like I said, I think I agree with you that there is still a grand majority that want the simple stuff. A lot of times, though, the breweries get that social media buzz when they crank out, you know, the crazy new additive. Mm. You know, we're putting sour gummy worms in the beer. <laughs> you know, like we're putting, you know, well, I mean, I've seen beers. like, I mean, there's been plenty of beers like that where, you know, they're putting in all sorts of insane ingredients and that generates buzz. People want to go and try something that they haven't had before. That's a big reason with this push uh, with kind of the uniqueness of everything that, you know, people aren't going to blow up their phone when they see, oh, they're brewing a basic mosaic pale ale. You know, that's not going to be. Whereas if you say, oh, the double imperial peanut butter and maple stout, you know, that's on nitro just got, you know, dropped. You know, we should go. That's what 
generates more of the buzz. Um, although, like I mentioned, some of the best beers I have had are the simple ones. That brewery um, that I mentioned earlier uh, up in Minnesota, Castle Danger, they make some of the most immaculately clean beers I think I've had anywhere. Their cream ale, their pale ale, all of it was just to perfection. Mm. And that's that was more memorable to me than a lot of the other places because you go to a lot of places and you can find really good you know, pastry stouts and sours and IPAs. But to say that you have a top notch, you know, across the board, that's an that's an impressive feat. So how much cask beer do you come across in the states? Because obviously in the UK it's everywhere. That's part of our yeah. heritage and tradition. I've seen online um, tapping parties in the US where it's like a, you know huge queue where there's a firkin, you know, yeah. and, and that, I mean it's just par for course over here. But like, um, is that something that? is happening more in tap rooms because obviously you, you know you, um, it, it doesn't work from a distribution point of view in the states like it does in the uk yeah. Um, yeah but is that something that's becoming more prevalent over there or i would say maybe slightly more prevalent it's still not common right. um i wouldn't say i don't know if i would say rare because i do i do come across it you know every now and again in, in the breweries where they'll have different things they'll have a rotating cask um option we actually have here in milwaukee we have a firkin fest each year um, and so, you know, that's, that's a fun event, uh, to, to be able to see. Um, but no, that is not something that has caught on quite as much. I, I have had some very good beers on cask at the breweries. Um, if I do see one on cask, I would say not every time, but more often than not, I do add that to my flight because it is something that you don't see as often. Um, but no, I would definitely say that's one of the, one of the big differences, um, between the UK and the U S in terms of their craft beer movement is that we have not seen that. It, it is still something that I would say when it's on is popular, but it hasn't gotten to the point where it's customary for breweries to have cask beers available. Right. Okay. So what were some of the smallest breweries you visited whilst traveling across America? Oh, yeah. Um, so it was, I've been to quite a few that, you know, just have like one barrel systems. Um, I think I might have been to one that was even smaller than that. It was almost even just like on a basically like a homebrew system um, where, you know, they, they are – they that's some of the brews that I mentioned where they're constantly rotating in different beers. Sometimes that's, that's the small ones because mm-hmm. when you only have like the one barrel or you're just making like one batch of beer, you know, you have kind of that freedom to kind of just where you're like rotating stuff in and out very quickly. Uh, and they like to be able to try to have some variety, I guess. Um, but yeah, so it's one of those things where it's kind of fun to go to those places because you know, like you can go in and you just see the tiny little system sitting there and it's kind of unbelievable. They're able to you know, have their entire business coming out of that. Um, there, there's actually a, a brewery in uh, Wisconsin here called one barrel brewing in the capital of Madison. And that's because they have one barrel, a one barrel system. Um, and so I would say that that's probably around there in terms of, of brewing size. Um, tap room wise, I mentioned the one that's in the garage uh, that's on the river, you know, that's just about as small as you can get. Although I do know I have not been there yet. I'm planning on hopefully going there. There's a brewery up in Minnesota that's in this tiny little space and the indoor, like it's so small that the little bar is in there. They don't even have any room for seating. You have to, their only seating is a little patio out on the front. Um, so yeah, which is, which is interesting because Minnesota, for those that don't know the U.S. geography, Minnesota gets very, very cold in wintertime and a lot of snow. Yeah. So I don't know how that operates. but. So with, with these really small one-barrel brewers, I mean, like, surely they're not doing it as a full-time job, or, or are they? Or like, I think it depends. I think there's a mix because um, there are quite a few 
And sometimes, you know, you'll see the smaller breweries and they're, they're, the tap rooms will only be open, you know, Thursday night, Friday night, and then, you know, some, part, some parts of the day, Saturday and Sunday, um, where it would leave the open possibility for them to, you know, be able to have other jobs. Um, but a lot of times I know that there's some of them where, you know, that they're brewing so much with like the systems that, that basically is their full-time job to keep up with the demand in the tap room. Um, and so it, I think it, a lot of it also depends on where you're living, you know, um, if you have to supplement your income with something else, uh, and the success of the brewery, of course, plays a crucial role in that, you know, if you're a one barrel brewing system, but everyone is demanding your beer and you're able to charge higher prices, you can probably survive off of it, off of it. Whereas if you're not selling as much beer, obviously you have to go the other way and find somewhere, something else to kind of help you get along. Yeah. So what are some of the trends in craft beer in the US at the minute in terms of beer styles? What, what have you seen quite a lot of? Um, well, you know, you're, you're still always seeing it. I mean, it kind of, you know, I'm sure it's similar over there where it's very seasonal, where you see all the ebbs and flows with the season. You know, now we're we're getting into fall, so you're seeing all the different, you know, Oktoberfest, Marzen, um, pumpkin beers. have. I think pumpkin beers get more popular each year pretty much. Um, it seems like um, over here each fall. Uh, I know a little while back, uh, loggers and Mexican loggers especially were making a big kick, uh, especially down um, in the southern part of the country. Uh, I would say IPAs are still king over here. Uh, I would say West. I would say you know for for a very long time in the U.S. the West Coast, you know the bitter IPAs were top dog. Whereas now you kind of see more of the influx of the New England style, the hazy, um, more kind of you know cloudy IPAs are are, are more of the the go-to uh, at this point. Where it's to the point now where even when I was living in San Diego, you know every brewery out there is brewing New England IPAs at this point, pretty much. Um, so it's, it was interesting to see kind of that shift, uh, because when I first started, you know, drinking beer when I was in college, you didn't really see as much, you know, dis- distribution in terms of like new England IPAs. And that wasn't, you know, I graduated college in 2015. So that wasn't that long ago, um, that we saw all that. Uh, and now all of a sudden it's arguably one of the most trendy styles. Um, I do think my favorite style sours is also going to continue to make a push, um, especially like a lot of like the fruited Berliner Weisses and those are also popular. One other trend I've been seeing is beer slushies where it's essentially like an icy, like a slushy, but it's beer, um, which is, um, I guess I can use the word interesting. Um, <laughs> it's not my personal cup of tea. Uh, it was fun to try, but uh, it is something that I've seen a lot more of. Um, here, even just in recent months, more breweries, especially in the summer months, it was it was quite more it was a lot more popular. So uh, that'd be an interesting one to kind of keep track of and, and see if that continues to develop. Yeah, what are the beers that have um, what? There's a derivative from cannabis, isn't there? Uh, CBD. CBD. Do you know much about those beers? Um, somewhat. So I have had I have had a number of beers that are you know they use some sort of hemp seed um, or a CBD thing. Uh, I just had one actually last month when I was in Montana, and it was pretty darn good. Um, here I can look up. It was so I got my notes here. It was yeah, and it was actually it was called Fresh Bong Water, and it was a pale ale brewed with hemp from Canada actually. Uh, so it was it was really really interesting. Uh, you know, it was a beer that took on it. It, it does give it. There are some different, you know, 
element to it, I guess you could say. Um, but it, it's, I don't know, I haven't, it hasn't gotten to the point where you, it's like a common thing to see. Um, but it is something that has obviously only kind of came to the forefront in the last couple of years. Um, and depending on the, I, I'm sure it, depending on exactly what, you know, type of hemp you're using, it'll give you different, you know, elements of, you know, on the taste that the last one I had, it had a little more nuttiness to it than what a typical pale ale would have. Mm. And I don't know if that had something to do, um, with the type of seed that they were using. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's definitely an interesting trend that I think, as we move towards more legalization, it, it very well may be worked in more uh, more often. Do you think with the legalization of cannabis throughout America in different states, do you think that potentially might slow down the growth of craft beer? Um, I don't think so. Because um, I think for the most part, there may be a little bit of an uptick, but I think for the most part, the people that are going to smoke weed already smoke weed. <laughs> um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I don't, I mean, I know that there, there may be some people that would, would, would dabble in it a little bit more if it was legal. Um, but I think for the most part, and especially because it is legal in a lot of places now, I think that there are a lot of folks. Cause I mean, one of the, one of the States where it's legal and it has been legal for a little while now is Colorado. And they're one of the, still one of the fastest growing craft beer markets in the country. So I, I don't think that there's, there would be any detrimental effects to that. Um, I actually know there's been another one. I was thinking, I just thought of another brewery that I was at a little while ago. Um, and their, their beer, they partnered with a local, um, like, you know, cannabis company or whatever. And they had, I think, two or three beers that used different strains or whatever, you know, in the beer. So I can see that becoming more popular, but. Um, I don't think it will would hurt the craft beer market much at all, no. So moving on to the other um, big goliath of craft beer, obviously, you you know, you've got um, AB InBev and other um, yeah. global um, brewers out there. I mean, if you think about breweries like um, Wicked Weed or um, Goose Island, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's, yeah. and the uproar that happened with those, I mean, people obviously feel quite impassioned when um, independent breweries sell up or sell out um yes. to these to these macro brewers um do you see companies like anisa bush interbrew um buying more craft breweries in the states or oh, has yeah. that slowed down or yeah. is, are there any rooms at the moment as to who i think they're going to acquire I mean, it may eventually slow down, but i i think it's going to continue to happen um because they know that i mean right now and i like we talk about even once the brewery the brewery the number of breweries like kind of like maybe peaks a little bit I still think craft beer is going to continue to, to work their way more and more into the market and big beer realizes that. And so they're going to continue to try to take these, you know, well-known local breweries and kind of continue to try to carve their portfolio out from them. Um, and it is something that, you know, people are really passionate about. I included that in, I think I included that in one of my 50 thoughts that, you know, it, it sometimes is a very heated take i used to be a little more heated about it than what i am now because i am one of those people that once a brewery sells out i will i don't drink their beer anymore um i have broken my rule or i won't visit a brewery or drink their beer but i did break my rule once um i went to wicked weed it was less than a year after they sold out and they had been in like at the top of my list as a, as a person who loves sours um basically since i had started looking at breweries 
And so it was a debate that I had with myself, you know, for quite a while that, oh, well, do I want to break my rule? Because once you break your rule, then you broke your rule. But um, <laughs> I did decide to go to Wicked Weed. But otherwise, you know, we lived in San Diego for quite some time um, while we were traveling. I didn't go to Ballast Point. I didn't go to uh, what is it, St. Archer or whatever, like the the other one of the other ones that's being that's been bought out. Um, I didn't you know, I live only an hour and a half from Chicago about I, haven't, I don't go to Goose Island. Um, so. It is one of those things though, that you have to respect the opinion of people because there are just people that they don't really care who owns it. They just want to drink the beer that they enjoy drinking, which is a respectable opinion to have. Um, if you enjoy drinking the beer and that's your take on it, then you know more power to you. Um, and that's why breweries sell out because they know that there's enough people in other markets that just want to drink good beer that – what they lose in local revenue will be made up elsewhere, most likely. Yeah. Um, so it is one of those things that it's tough. We actually just had Founders Brewing um, here in Michigan uh, sold to some company from, I don't remember, overseas. And that was, that was there were some people, because that's like the big one in Michigan, and there were some people that were very heated about that. Um, but again, you see it now and again where it kind of flares up, but it's really just that initial reaction that is, the, that is of course, the most passionate, and then it tapers off down the road. Um, but, yeah, it is it is an interesting dynamic, though. That That is for sure. So, for example, with New Glorious that you referenced earlier, um, they, they don't sell out of their state, which I would imagine is because they want people to try their beer fresh as it's intended to be rather than traveling across America then sitting on some yeah. shelf for months on end. Um, for beer nerds like you and me that hear about these beers like in the uk if i want to get you know like cloud waters a, a big independent brewery oh, yeah. in the uk yep. you know like if i want a cloud water or uh something from five points in london you know it, it's pretty readily available the uk is not that big and you know distribution is pretty good but in the states obviously it's massive so how would you come across those beers do you, li- do you literally have to travel for these and and um you used to more than you do now. Um, one of the other big trends, a lot of it is due to social media, is kind of the invention of beer mail, which is very, very popular here in the States. I myself do not partake in it because it's a very expensive uh, hobby to get into once you start doing it with people. <laughs> um, but I have lots of you know friends that I've you know talked to that they ship beer all over the country to different people, and then they're getting beer back. So – that's something I know like people in Wisconsin will send like new Glaras and other, you know, lakefront, other local breweries. They'll send beer down to folks down in Texas or, you know, out to Oregon, North Carolina, wherever it may be, you know, when they know people out there and then the people will then fill a box back up with beer from their area and ship it back to them. So it's a bit um, like having a pen friend, but for beer. Yes. But instead of just writing about what you did for the last week, you're <laughs> shipping up, you know, <laughs> 20 beers. So yeah, that, that is, that has become a very, very popular trend um, here fairly recently, uh, where you get the quote unquote what they call them is porch bombs, um, and then you know you see all the Instagram posts where people posting the picture of all the different bottles and cans lined up that they just received and um, all that kind of business. But if you if you're able to do it, it is a really cool way to be able to try beers from other parts of the country without having to travel. Because again. Like I've already mentioned, it is, you know, a lot of breweries don't distribute much site out outside of their region of the country. Mm. So I was quite intrigued that um, observation number 22 states, quote unquote, not all brewery tours are created equal. Like, can you, yeah. unpack, can you unpack that? That sounds quite interesting. Yeah. So some brewery tours are 
informative. Some brewery tours are fun and some are both. Um, and sometimes they're very impromptu. And I think I included that in my next point that there have been a handful of times where, you know, I'll be taking my notes and then the, you know, whoever owns the place or the head brewer will be like, Hey, like, you know, like they'll, they'll start talking to me and, you know, see what I do. And they'll want to come back and they'll show me the place. And that, those are often the most fun because you get that very personalized touch. Um, and you know, it's just kind of a direct conversation about the brewery. Uh, but I have been on brewery tours. My, the best brewery tour I've been on is here in Milwaukee at Lakefront Brewery because they share not only great information about the brewing process and the history of the brewery, but they're absolutely hilarious. They are, it's, it's definitely an 18 plus tour for the most part, um, in my opinion, but, um, it is a very, very fun tour to be on, uh, where other tours are, I'm not going to name names, but they're, they're very much more cut and dry where you're, you, you really, it is a much more technical tour, um, where they're just kind of giving you the information and that's pretty much it, mm. uh, which is, which can be fine, especially if you don't know a lot about the brewing system and how it all functions, just getting the information may be good without all the, you know, fluff and stuff, because then you're not having to be diverted your attention at all. But, um, just from my personal preference, I enjoy when it's a full, like well-rounded tour and you're able to kind of have a really enjoyable time rather than having it be like, you know, a classroom session or something. Yeah. So just, just to round off the podcast, ha- having had an extensive view of American craft beer, like really hands-on physically going across the country seeing all these breweries like where do you see beer heading over the next few years stateside oh well i don't like i said i i don't think we're done yet with the growth um i i I expect there to continue to be some more growth um at least for the next couple years Uh, i think we will continue i don't know what it's going to be we will continue to see because we are so impatient um and social media always wants to have the new thing we will continue to see new styles that we may not even envision at this point or have an idea could exist. Um, and that's partially because there's more ingredients available than there used to be, uh, you know, different ways of brewing the different processes, you know, so, and plus, like I said, the demand is there, people want new stuff. And so you're going to continue to see crazier and crazier ingredients thrown in. Um, but at the end of the day, the popular beers will still be the beers like Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, Sam Adams Boston Lager, you know, the Stone IPA. Beers like that will continue to hold their ground. Um, but overall, yeah, I think I think there's going to continue to be just a lot of uh, kind of flash in the pan trends. Um, because again, like I said, we're not very patient and we we don't exactly you know it's it's tough to hold our attention for very long. Um, a lot of times now, you know you you get your, your Instagram posts with, with the latest fancy beer and, you know, the next day you want that, you want something new. Um, so I think that's where, you know, you're going to see brewers continue to have to try to adapt and come up with, with new items while still having a very stable base of, of just good classic beer. And do you think your Samuel Adams, Boston Lagos, for example, or Sierra Nevada, do you think they'll increase in market share? Um, I don't know if they will necessarily increase in market share. Um, they may continue to, 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 you know, tick upwards as, you know, more people kind of maneuver the way, because a lot, the thing is with a lot of those beers, they can kind of, kind of be part of that group that would be considered gateway beers mm. where you get the people coming from big beer into craft beer, because, you know, you kind of start, you know, the cream ales, the Kolsch's, you know, the pale ales, um, you know, the lagers, be- beers like that are kind of the stepping stone from your you know american 
uh, your American light lager. Uh, you know, you, you're not jumping from that beer to a pastry stout. Uh, so I think you may continue to see a little bit because you will get the people from, you know, the big beer kind of working their way into it. But again, I think it's tough because, again, like I mentioned before, at the local level, the people that are maybe transferring from big beer to craft beer are also more likely to just be going to their local brewery because they're like, oh, this brewery 10 minutes from me, they're making beer right here. I should go try it out because especially in rural America, which is where I grew up, you know, most breweries there offer some kind of, you know, cream ale and light lagers and they offer kind of those gateway beers because they know their audience. They know that they're not in San Diego or Portland, Oregon, that a majority of their beer drinkers have been drinking Bush Light, you know, their entire lives. And so you have to have that beer where it's like people come in and say, hey, what can I get that's like a Coors Light or a Miller Light? And you have to have that option for them. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you, Joel, for being on the podcast today. So if people want to read about your travels and um, your reviews of these breweries, how can they do that? Yeah. So um, I have Instagram and Twitter accounts. Um, on Twitter, I am Brewery Travels. There's uh, nothing else in there. On Instagram, I am Brewery underscore Travels. And I have a post about every single brewery that I've been to. Well, Instagram, I started a little bit later. But since then, I have po- I post about every single one that I visit. Uh, and then I also do some writing. I'm, I'm closing in now, I think, on 50 articles I've written on sombeer.com. That's S-O-M-M-B-E-E-R.com. And a majority of my articles I write there are just uh, kind of about, for instance, I'll write my, la- my latest one was about Missoula, Montana, and I'll highlight four of the breweries that I visited there, talk about the beers I tried, you know, what, what the different profiles were on them. And then also I'll write about kind of the, the brewery itself and the taproom atmosphere and the history behind the brewery. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, the background with that. And feel free to reach out. I love sharing any information. Uh, that I've been able to do. That's that's why part of the reason that I love to do this is because it's just so much fun. Amazing, Brill. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. Today's Hot Ford podcast was brought to you by SSV Limited. From tanks to full brew houses, SSV Limited has got you covered. In just five short years, SSV Limited have established themselves as the go-to partner to help you grow or launch your brewery. High quality tanks, parts, brewing kit and the knowledge and experience to ensure your project runs smoothly from beginning to completion. Their recently opened parts shop stocks well over a thousand essential brewing parts to keep your brewery up and running. Visit their website on www.ssvlimited.co.uk That's www.ssvlimited.co.uk And check out their latest projects. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Four podcast this week. Don't forget, we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at hotforwardbeers. Until next time, cheers.